Welcome to 24 Karis. I'm Kelly Johnson, founder and CEO of Karis by KJE. Uh, 24 Karis is really committed to bringing you timely diversity, equity, and inclusion topics. And this series wraps up um, a very important conversation that the leadership team has been having um, around DEI communications. If you have not seen the other episodes, you need to go back because there's a lot of great content, a lot of great golden nuggets, like we like to call them. Um, And in particular, the last episode is really our personal journey around um, a very recent issue with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So today, let's maybe wrap up this series to help organizations think about um, how to engage stakeholders in the process. So we've talked about why communicating about DEI is important. We've talked about the how. We've shared our journey um, in a really personal way, but we can't do this alone as leaders. So in particular, I think about employee resource groups or DEI councils. What thoughts do you all have about how to engage those key stakeholders in this process? Yeah, thinking about employee resource groups, I feel like they're kind of on the front line, so to speak, and have kind of that um, quick connection to the employees, what the employees are going through, what they're feeling. So I think organizations should should definitely leverage employee resource groups when something happens um, to understand how their employees are dealing with whatever it is or how it's impacting them. Um, And really kind of get that spectrum of it because even if it's an employee resource group, whether it's the BRG um, or the Pan-Asian ERG, there are still different stances and different viewpoints on topics within the ERG itself as well. So really getting a pulse on the spectrum um, of what employees are are feeling so that they can then take those insights, those direct insights, um, and consider them as they um, develop the message. Yeah, and I think um, employee resource groups or ERGs are just your organic way for getting feedback from employees. Um, Employees usually feel, has their guard down more when um, they're, again, with their in-group or in their like-minded or like a lot of similarities. And so I think that's just a natural way, you know, their walls are probably down more um, for them to open up about how they're really feeling about certain situations or how maybe they would like the company to respond or react to certain situations. So really definitely leverage uh, the employee resource groups, especially with um, either DI related topics or just topics in general that could potentially impact how the business is run. Yeah, that's good. So I think we had a conversation with Damika Stringer um, who talked about how employee resource groups are often the safe space safe space in the organization for employees. And so providing that forum for safe conversations, I think, is really important. Um, Are there any sort of ideas or best practices that we could maybe share from our clients um, in ways that they have really engaged ERGs or councils in in that process? Any, Any examples come to mind? Oh, let me think. I, yes. So we have a, a client. Um, I think their council is about a year or so old now, um, and they're really kind of the. This organization doesn't have ERG, so they're kind of the representation of the employees um, from all different parts of the organization, different locations. So they're kind of that voice, and they're able to 
talk about, whether it's DEI holidays and how do we communicate, um, whether it's putting together something for uh, community service or something like that, they're really kind of the hub of um, getting the pulse on how things are resonating with employees, but then also how the organization should be communicating or not on certain issues um, and how they should handle certain things. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, some employee resource groups and the leaders of those groups might need a little bit of help or coaching on being that advisor to the organization. Um, you know, I think that sometimes to a point that you made in our last episode, Annalise, when we're really passionate about something, our communication probably isn't the most effective that it could be. So let's also maybe think about for those who are listening that are a part of an ERG or a council, um, what suggestions or advice um, do we have to maybe help them be even better or more effective advisors to the organization when something happens? I think it's also checking themselves, ourselves themselves to whatever the, the topic at hand is. For example, if it's a very, again, divisive topic that's out there, but that is very much hits home for that particular ERG, whether it's George Floyd two years ago or whatever the case is, the tendency could be that you have a reaction, right? Because you are closely affiliated with that event and you have passion behind that. You've got some history behind that. And so the there's pros and cons, right? To being the voice of that particular population. Um, so you gotta you balance that um, to still include and you know be inclusive of how you, you make recommendations to the key stakeholders on how to respond uh, to certain issues so that it's not one-sided, right? Um, and so again, it's back to the check, check the emotion um, because that's naturally gonna happen as, as part of uh, these sensitive topics, but you know, pause you know, and, and see what is the best way to really represent our group and how to effectively represent our group without adding to other stigmas that may be already in existence if you communicate ineffectively. Yeah, I think the, that representation word is key. Because um, I think as an ERG leader, it's easy to, you know, I'm passionate about this, I wanna, I'm the leader, and you know, to, this is my opinion, this is how I feel, versus getting a pulse on, you know, what does my constituency feel? Um, what are the varying thoughts or opinions around it? And then how do I take all of these and then present you know, a consolidated opinion or advice to the organization that's going to benefit the masses of our uh, population. So I love that you said that because I think that that is a very natural tendency and kind of easy to do, especially if you're an ERG leader. Mm -hmm. You know, you're used to being in that leadership role. Um, we saw an organization, not a client, um, but we saw a women's ERG post a statement after the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And it was um, very much um, against the overturning, right? And when I personally read it, I thought, wow, that's a strong, st and it was written very strongly, very firmly, and it was written on behalf of the women's ERG of that organization. And I thought to myself, wow, does that mean that no member of their women's ERG had a different perspective? Yes. Right. So it's written on behalf of the women's ERG. So did that statement reflect 
every, I mean, maybe not everyone, but at least 80%, right? Because, I mean, there's always going to be some, you know, kind of really unique positions that maybe we don't always know about. But I think that that is, we have to be careful that when ERGs are sharing, hey, these are some things we need to know about from this community, and, and this is how many of us feel, that we truly are tapping into people who don't agree with us or might have a different perspective. Um, I know some of the organizations that we worked with did a really good job during the pandemic with um, the uh, Asian hate that was happening, right? Like there were some great conversations and dialogues that were held to say, hey, this is how our community is being impacted. People see me walking down the street and they're immediately tapping into a lot of negative stereotypes. Um, and so I, I'm, I think that is an example of where we saw several client organizations do it really well. Yeah. What else can we think about in terms of either how to engage stakeholders? So we've talked about ERGs and councils. Are there, what if an organization doesn't have an ERG or council? Mm. What should they do? Call us. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Call us. Yes. Uh, we can help you out with that. Uh, Put us on speed dial. Yeah. But there are a lot of organizations that don't have like a dedicated, um, they don't even have DEI you know, focused people. Um, I think it's, it's really going stems from, you know, these types of things tops down, starting from the leadership team, um, having this types of dialogue and plan um, and structure in place. I mean, you don't have to have a DEI or an ERG to be able to have the, the the candid conversations. It's equipping, I think, those leaders with what are the right questions to ask and some bullet point talking points, um, like basic ones, to just a framework to consider whenever topics come up that could be contentious. Right? I think that's just a tool that you know could be provided to those you know leaders that have to make these decisions about statements and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about other organizations um, either that I've worked with in the past or that are clients that don't have ERGs or a council. And I would say one piece of advice I would share is uh, try to avoid assuming that if a person presents or appears as if they belong to a particular community, uh, don't assume that they want to be the spokesperson for that group. Um, so I think if an organization does not have, if your organization doesn't have an ERG or a council and an issue comes up with a particular community, it's always important to ask broadly and invite people to participate in a conversation about the topic. Um, because within a community, there's a lot of diversity of thought, uh, diversity of beliefs and experiences. And so just assuming that, you know, oh, well, you know, She's Hispanic, so she must want to talk about this issue. Um, could be really dangerous. Yeah, I think the other piece to that um, for organizations that don't have those stakeholders is educating yourself. You know, being you know, go on Google, you know, research the the issue, how it impacts different organizations. You could open up one ar article and go down a rabbit hole. Um, but if you don't have that DEI office, council, or ERGs. The leadership team has to, you know, take that responsibility to educate themselves so that they can begin to have these conversations, figure out where the organization stands, and begin to a process of communicating on things. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, because with, without that background or that voice in the room, it's very difficult to think about different perspectives. Not not to their fault, it's just they don't have that that knowledge yeah. uh, or that experience and there's no voice in the room to say so. So I think you're right about, you know, it's easy to Google, it's easy to research information and that should be part of the discussion on the table is providing that history and context for everybody in the room. Yeah. And I think that's why we say it's, you know, it, this is, DEI is the responsibility of everybody in the organization, of every department, because if we're all doing the work, then if we don't have a DEI office, it's still going to get done. Mm -hmm. I really like how you're talking about involving everyone. We've talked about some key stakeholder groups like ERGs and councils, the, le the executive leadership team. Uh, but we all know that a lot happens in the middle of an organization. And when we talk about leaders, we tend to sort of lump them all in sort of one big bucket. But I think a lot of times we're, we're sort of talking mostly about senior leaders. Let's speak directly to mid-level leaders um, because they are so critical in setting the culture of a team. Um, let, let's talk to, to, to this sort of stakeholder group specifically for a minute. So I think for mid-level uh, leaders, I mean, you've kind of, you're in the middle, right? You have, a, you know, almost direct access to the employee population, and then you've got access to, um, you know, layers of the senior leadership team as well. So you're kind of in this middle space where it's like an employee can say, oh, I don't want to tell my manager because they're just going to report it up to so-and-so, and there's that little bit of fear sometimes or hesitation um, to, to speak up or to have a voice. So I think that, that key role of that, that manager is really to, to balance that voice, like escalate feedback that they're hearing from the employee population that they're naturally gonna get because of the position that they're in or that you're in, and being able to share that relevant information up the chain. And then it's a kind of circle the loop, right? Just because employees will feel like, I'm sharing feedback all day long, but nothing's being done. Like circling that, closing that loop to say, shared your feedback up the chain, here's up down the chain what they discussed here's the action that's taken even if the answer is right now we can't take an action on that and here's why that's still an acceptable answer than just saying let me get your feedback and then nothing is ever communicated after that right so I think that closing the loop is is important yeah and I think um, to your point employees really look to their managers as their like yes there's a senior leaders and we see the face of the organization but the person that I'm working with on a day-to-day -day basis like you know, that's that's my person, as people say. Um, so they're really looking to you to set the tone for how we operate as a team, how we communicate as a team, um, me being able to show up and share, you know, what I'm going through at home with my team. And, you know, you've set the tone to where I can share that and it's, you know, it's okay, it's a safe space, right? Um, so being, as a leader, being able to, um, understand yourself, understand, you know, how you show up, understand that your team is going to show up differently, but assuming the, the, the role of I can facilitate and I can um, kind of be their, their person or their rock, I guess. Yeah, I think advocacy, right? Yes. So creating that place, the safe space for employees to share their concerns, um, then being an advocate on their behalf to senior leaders is critical. But I also think that even, let's say, a mid-level leader hasn't had a lot of success or been able to make a lot of traction in their advocacy, 
I do think that even in the absence of maybe a senior executive team that's really bought into this and really trying to walk the walk, I think that mid-level leaders can still play a key role um, even in the empathy piece, right? So just asking people, how are you today, right? Like, I know that this is going on. Um, I remember we were talking to a group of employees, we were doing a session and they had um, a significant employee presence in El Paso. And this was shortly after um, a massive shooting um, in El Paso. We were having this session a day or two later. And so it would be inappropriate, dishonorable, tone deaf to just jump into the training without at least acknowledging that, hey, this community just went through something tragic. And the employees, they showed up to work, great for them, but they could have family and friends who were a part of that issue, and and yet they're still having to show up every day or show up to work. And so I think making sure that you're aware of what's happening around you and checking in with people just to show that you care, um, one of our favorite words, um, that is how you live care, right? So... Any other thoughts about how mid-level leaders can show care or, or how organizations can show care? Yeah, I think, I think we covered it. <laughs> awesome. Okay. All right. This has been um, a, a phenomenal series around communications and the role that it plays with driving culture transformation and, and really impacting diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. Um, thank you for listening to 24 Karis, and we'd love to hear from you. Visit our website to um, send us a question, Ask Karis. We'd love to include it on a future episode. Until next time.